Welcome to Gold Coast Insider, where we bring you business insights, stories, opportunities, and forecasts from movers and shakers across the Gold Coast. I'm your host, Estella Rodigiro. I'm CEO of Regional Development Australia Gold Coast. It's my pleasure to welcome Stephen Harrison as my guest today. Stephen has 30 years experience in the development industry and has held key positions in both public and private sectors. Stephen is currently the principal of Harrison Development Group, which is responsible for the delivery of signature projects across the Gold Coast and in Cairns, Moreton Bay and Logan. He is also development director for Flinders Lakes, a 21,000 lot master planned community at Flagstone. He holds a Bachelor of Civil Engineering and a Master of Project Management. He is the past president of the Urban Development Institute of Queensland in 2016, having been a past president of UDIA Gold Coast Logan branch. He is also the current chair of the Gold Coast Light Rail Business Authority Group. Welcome Stephen. Good morning. Good morning. Stephen, there's a lot of projects that you're working on through your company, which is um, Harrison Development Group. Do you want to talk us through some of the developments and the massive developments that are happening on the Gold Coast? I think firstly, it's um, it's an exciting place to um, undertake development on the Gold Coast. And I, and I say that because uh, the Gold Coast has historically grown very quickly, but, but also has produced some uh, standout developments um, not only nationally but globally, and uh, and so it's exciting to be a part of that. Uh, some of those projects that I'm involved with that you mentioned are uh, high-rise developments or medium-rise developments, so ranging from uh, Chevron Island all the way down to Balinga and Kira, um, so anywhere between uh, nine and nineteen stories, and predominantly aimed at at um, residential, and so owner-occupiers and you know lots of communal facilities and so forth. Uh, also predominantly aimed at being beachside um, or A-grade sites, as they call them. So beachside and, and a couple on the, the river um, of Chevron Islands uh, just off the river and, and Surface Paradise on the river. So pretty exciting. And the other project, a big project that I'm working on is uh, in a southwest growth corridor of Brisbane. It's called uh, Flinders Lakes and it's a 21,000 lot master plan community. So it's a new town and, and everything you would expect of a new town uh, we need to create. Um, we're getting on the ground in that one in about 18 months. So it's pretty exciting. It is exciting times. And that brings me to a really interesting conversation. And um, there's a lot of word about, you know, the Gold Coast has been driven by growth, a lot through migration, domestic as well as international. And this has impacted on real estate prices. Can you talk us through what's happening in those prices in real estate on the Gold Coast? So this is the one I'll go back to go forwards, if that makes sense, and, and it will when I explain it. So about uh, 40 years ago, uh, Gold Coast was not in the top 100 towns or cities in the country, uh, and it's grown now to become the sixth biggest, and it's been the, the strongest growth of anywhere in the country really over that sustained period. Uh, so Bernard Salt wrote a book about sea change, and really it was predominantly focused on the Gold Coast. And uh, what we've seen in that time, obviously with that, significant growth um, is uh, lots and lots of activity in and around growth corridors, around infrastructure, 
um, lots of upgrades. Uh, you might recall 40 years back for those that were here on the Gold Coast, it was a series of seaside villages. Uh, and behind that were farms. And, uh, and largely those seaside villages were all joined together to become one city uh, known as the Gold Coast. And those farms, um, lots of them have been uh, developed. Some are still there um, out on the um, Merrimack Carrara floodplain. But lots have been developed into subdivisions, into canal developments, into social and community infrastructure, uh, and all those things that made the Gold Coast great. So uh, over time, we've seen uh, the value of real estate uh, increase significantly. Uh, historically, there were a lot of people that uh, saw the Gold Coast as a, a day trip from Brisbane, or they had their holiday home here on the Gold Coast. They'd come down on the Friday, they'd open it up a bit like a permanent tent, um, open it up on the Friday and then uh, close it back up again on the Sunday night, drive back up the highway, back to their house in uh, in Brisbane. And why wouldn't you come to the Gold Coast? Mm, absolutely. That brings me to, um, so, so a lot of building around the corridors. Um, we've got a lot of uh, migration that's came to the Gold Coast and that's been evidenced through that, that COVID period. And a lot of people don't know the history of our light rail and it's it's an interesting history. And so you've been on the light rail, on the light rail business um, advisory board for quite a long period of time. Can you give us, talk us, walk us through and expand on that light rail extension? Where did it come from? Where is it going? What's the background? What are the stages so that we can take these, uh, you know, the people who have moved to the Gold Coast on that journey? It's a very good question. And uh, you just have to look at the Gold Coast Physically, it's a linear city. It's not a radial city. So traditionally, a city has a heart and, and all the streets and roads and everything else come off that heart or that central CBD. Uh, we're a linear city that has the ocean on one side and the mountains on the other. And so naturally, that uh, creates a bit more of a challenge. Uh, the additional challenge to that is we've also got lots and lots of canals and waterways and water bodies. So that does create a, uh, a constraint uh, if you're travelling in uh, in a car, but also um, it, it creates a constraint because of um, the the natural uh, bridges and so forth that are needed because of the, the waterway. So, um, one of the uh, documents uh, count that the council did back in the '90s, uh, so it was the mid '90s, I think 1995. Uh, they were looking at what can we do with transport and public transport in particular. Uh, I mentioned uh, about that fact that the Gold Coast was a series of seaside villages. Uh, and historically, people always used to just drive up to their local convenience store, get the bread, milk, and paper, um, you know, park out the front, and then and drive home. And, and so we've had a very high per capita usage of motor vehicles as a city, mm. as residents and tourists alike. Uh, the intent from council in the uh, the 1990s was to try and um, enact a mode shift towards public transport. So what? public transport infrastructure can we um, put in place to ensure that it provides a, a viable alternative to the car? And um, at the time, we historically, I think back in the 1930s, we had a, a train line that came down to Southport. We had one that went to Coolangatta. Uh, they were both ripped up, unfortunately. In hindsight, not a great move, um, but we did get a, uh, uh, a train line that came from Brisbane and uh, finished at Narang. Um, so that provides a connection from Brisbane to the Gold Coast, uh, but nothing into the ocean and then nothing down the actual beachside suburbs. 
So one of the ideas that was mooted at the time by council was to uh, create light rail. And light rail uh, is a, a form of public transport that um, can carry lots and lots of people. So very effective at, at carrying lots of people. Uh, and predominantly they have a dedicated uh, line, so an access that, that doesn't mix with traffic. Uh, you might know them in other cities in, um, in Australia, for example, like Melbourne, have got their trams. Uh, that's the equivalent. Mm. But in Melbourne, they don't have dedicated lanes, and so they get delayed by traffic. They get delayed by the cars. and In effect, they can't be any more efficient. So the idea on the Gold Coast that was mooted by council back in the um, mid-90s was to create a, a dedicated alignment and a dedicated lane for light rail to ensure that lots and lots of people could be carried uh, by, by that um, public transport and, and the intent is to try and save vehicles being on the road. So take the load off the road a little bit, the road being the, uh, the, the beachside Gold Coast Highway and through Surface Paradise and, and Southport. Now, the ultimate intent of, of the light rail is for it to be an entire network. Um, so it would be a, um, a network that travels down to and, and across the border, um, you know, obviously the Gold Coast Airport, uh, up to the heavy rail at Helensvale, and, and also potentially east-west connections out to Narang and um, Harbour Town and um, out to um, West Burley and so forth. Uh, now, public transport networks happen over time. They happen in stages. There's been nowhere in the world where an entire public transport system has been done in one stage. And so that's what's been rolling out uh, since the, the first stage of light rail uh, was mooted back in um, 2009, I think, uh, was the, the first formal meeting we had of the uh, Gold Coast Light Rail Business Advisory Group. And I've been involved in, in that um, before the first meeting and since then and right up to this point in time. So really the intent is to continue to, to roll uh, the, the light rail out as extensions uh, down to the airport across the border and also some uh, some east-west connections. Now, I, I did mention it's part of an overall network. Um, that network would include buses, would include um, you know, heavy rail and light rail, and, and that is what will create a network for the entire city. Mm. Um, at the moment, we have, if you like, a spine, but we haven't got the arms and the legs and and, uh, and the ribcage and so forth, we've, we've just got the spine running down the beach side, mm -hmm. which is the lot rail stages one and two. Stage three is underway. It's due to be completed in uh, 2025. Uh, and at the moment, it is performing very well uh, in stages one and two. In fact, uh, the patronage levels are up to and about 120% of pre-COVID levels. Now, mm -hmm. that's extraordinary because it's the only form of public transport in the country that is exceeding pre-COVID levels. So, you know, it's quite extraordinary how well it's been used by locals and tourists alike. Um, and, and can I say that uh, the reliability of the service, uh, there's over a 1,000 services of light rail each week. And we are now in the ninth month in a row where 100% of those journeys have been made on time. Wow. So over a 1,000 trips per, uh, per week, 100% of that is made on time so you can ensure that it's very reliable it is the most reliable form of public transport in queensland uh, it is also uh, getting the highest patronage levels so to me you know people are voting with their feet and they're yeah. getting on the light rail they're using it We're, we've now had 70 million uh trips 
on light rail since it started in 2014. So it has been a, a very big journey for light rail, but it's been one where the Gold Coast has historically been uh, quite poor in its uh, use of the motor vehicle, very high per capita usage, uh, but uh, it's seen a, a mode shift of about 25% towards light rail. So mm. to me, that's quite amazing uh, that there's been a, such an evolution towards light rail. Um, but there are various other things that, that the light rail has brought as well, and, and I can talk to them mm. uh, in terms of local participation. Yeah. yeah. So one of the key aims we had as a light rail uh, business advisory group is if we're going to get this infrastructure on the coast, we want to make sure Gold Coasters are building it. Right. And so one of the things we set out to do as a board was engage with the state, engage with council, at the time, the state and council policies were something like uh, 5% or 10% um, local participation. So that's all you require in terms of jobs by or for locals. Mm -hmm. What I can say quite proudly is that on every stage, on every stage so far, and indeed in stage three at the moment, we're on 89%, but in stages one and two, we achieved 90% local participation, so local employment. Now, on stage three, that's 760 families Gold Coast families okay. that will receive a benefit directly from light rail because of employment. Uh, when stage one was being built, it was just after the uh, the GFC, not too long after, and uh, there wasn't a lot of activity back in uh, 2012 to 2014. And at that time, yeah, that was why we were pushing as a uh, business advisory board to try and ensure that it maximises the benefit and the legacy for Gold Coasters. Uh, you get employed, but also you build this infrastructure and potentially you get the chance to build the next stage and the next stage and the next stage. So that's certainly the um, the the outcome that we're most proud of as a light rail business advisory group is to see so many Gold Coasters, so many Gold Coast families uh, positively impacted by being employed on the light rail. And the, um, yeah, that's amazing. They're, they're amazing figures too. Um, there's, there's been some conversation around the businesses that are impacted along this latest, um, the, the latest stage. Um, but I know that you've actually set up, you've learned a lot and you've set up a lot of um, um, infrastructure around supporting those businesses. Um, can, you, can you describe that or talk to us about that at all? One of the key learnings that came out of uh, stage one in particular uh, was that um, there are many different ways to construct infrastructure. Um, what a business wants, a business wants certainty and confidence. They want certainty to know when the work will occur and for how long it will occur um, and, and where. So when, where and when. Uh, and that's what we've tried to ensure that in stage two and stage three now under construction, the methodology used by the contractor is one where they can at least say, okay, your business is here. We're going to do this section on, on this week mm -hmm. and it's going to take two weeks to do it. So you know that um, in terms of the biggest impact on your business, it will be for that period because mm. we're going to segment it so that it's just your, and then the next bit and then the next bit and the next bit. So the methodology is used. Traditionally, you would, uh, you would just open the whole site up you would do, you know, all the underground works. You would do then, you know, all the, the various components of the project uh, in one go. Mm -hmm. uh, this is more complicated because there are so many businesses and uh, so many underground services and the like where um, you need to maintain continuity of service, continuity of business. 
Uh, and so our uh, focus as a business advisory group has really been to ensure that there's um, minimal disruptions to any of the businesses that front uh, the, the light raft construction works and uh, the communication with each of the businesses. Um, you know, we've said to the, uh, the consortia uh, that they have to communicate regularly. And when they think they've communicated enough, they need to communicate again and again to ensure that each of the business owners are aware of what activity is being undertaken, where it's being undertaken, and when it's being undertaken. Excellent. So the this stage should be completed about 2025, I think you said. When do we expect the next stage going, and that will end at the airport, the, the, the last stage of that, or not the last stage, but the next stage on. When do you expect that that will, you know, we'll get a rail, light rail to the airport? That's a very good question. Uh, if we think about the, the Olympic Games in 2032, um, and we take one step back, we think about the Commonwealth Games in 2018. Mm. Um, one of the key uh, deadlines that we had in 2018 for the Com Games was the completion of Stage 2 of the light rail. Mm -hmm. uh, and it provided a, a deadline to get those works done. Now, um, the good thing about 2032 is uh, it's all about trying to ensure that we do have a deadline for infrastructure upgrades or commitments, federal and state commitments mm -hmm. and funding of various um, activities and infrastructure throughout the city. Uh, if we work backwards from 2032, and it definitely does need to be completed to the airport and to the border uh, before then. So uh, normally you would have 18 months of um, operations uh, to test the system. Uh, so if we take that back, that's then 2030, uh, that it needs to be completed and operational. You might have seen uh, the press in the last week that the 19th, light rail vehicle has actually arrived here in the city yeah. uh, from, from Europe. There are another four of those coming shortly. Uh, so they'll be tested and tested and tested over the system uh, in coming months before they're put into to, uh, to operation in stage three, which is 2025. Um, so if we need uh, stage four, let's call it, uh, down the airport and to the, to the border done by 2030, if we work backwards, you know, the construction period for that stage is going to be three years, I would suggest, two mm -hmm. to three years. Mm -hmm. Now, again, uh, it's only taking that long because it's segmented into pieces to ensure that any impacts or potential impacts are minimised um, and various components. There are two bridges that need to be done. So they'll be separate parts of that project. Um, but it, coming back from 2030, coming back three years, construction 2027, the process you have to go through is you have to do a preliminary business um, case to uh, all levels of authorities. You've got to then do a detailed business case. Uh, and that business case does take a lot of time, but it does actually give Infrastructure Australia, which is the federal body uh, that, um, uh, that engages directly with the federal government, um, sufficient time to review, consider, and hopefully support the project. So this is the, the, the standard um, process that you have to go through with big infrastructure projects that receive um, local, state and federal funding. It's a formal process that each project throughout the country needs to go through. So going through those gates, we really need to have our preliminary business uh, case done this year mm -hmm. and okay. submitted this year. So timeframes-wise, uh, we need to get that work underway now. Yep, I understand. All right, so putting both hats on at the moment, they were talking about the development industry. Sources are saying that there's going to be a rush by developers to gain approval for projects along that future light rail um, route. 
Um, so have you seen that happening? Has that been a theme that's that started to occur or has it occurred? Actually, I, I think it's a little different from that. And the reason I say that is because if we look at um, suburbs such as Palm Beach and Balinga, uh, Kira, I think they've been um, vastly undervalued. And uh, so what has been occurring, particularly in somewhere like Palm Beach and Burley in the last couple of years, is people have actually uh, realised how amazing those locations are and the, the lifestyle benefits those locations uh, provide and the value for money that they still provide. Uh, and I know bringing investors from, uh, when I say investors, I mean institutional investors, funders, those sorts of uh, people are looking to invest in, in projects to the coast and show them through uh, some projects that are just finished. They can't believe how cheap the projects are, how affordable the uh, the end result is. So uh, dwellings, houses, units, they still can't believe how affordable uh, the um, uh, the projects are. So to me, what has created the, the stimulus for lots of activity in those suburbs is actually the fact that they've been undervalued. Mm. And uh, locals and tourists alike have um, understood now and jumped on it and they are purchasing and living in those areas and adding to the social fabric of those areas. And it's, it's making... Um, uh, two things happen. One is obviously it's putting a lot of money into the local area. It's it's getting um, busier, but also there's there's more cafes, restaurants, and social and community infrastructure that's been built in those locations, which uh, the locals and, and the residents can benefit from. Mm. Uh, but I, I would like to reiterate that um, light rail and the development that's occurring along those routes uh, is separate. And, and it's separate because those areas have been undervalued and I think people are just realising how good value they are. Yeah. Um, what we are seeing um, when light rail goes in is additional opportunities um, taken to uh, to fill in. Maybe there's some older motels in and along the, uh, the route there. Maybe there's some older buildings uh, that are in along there that... Uh, some vacant sites, uh, and, and they are the secondary opportunities that are being taken up when the light rail does come through uh, those suburbs. So, yeah. um, you know, to answer your question, I think it's it's a bit more complicated yeah. than having a direct connection with light rail and development. It's it's actually separate, and and it's definitely separate in Palm Beach, um, Burley, uh, places like Belinga and so forth, and it's just because they've been undervalued. Mm, okay. So... Um, what do you see moving forward as the challenges for the Gold Coast? Well, at the moment, I, uh, I can actually see that you know, we've got a lot of opportunity ahead of us in the lead-up to the Olympics in 2032 and, and why the Commonwealth Games are, were important for us and I think why we need to be parochial as Gold Coasters and jump on the, the Olympic Games is to try and ensure that we get additional infrastructure. Um, and we, we do know that investment follows infrastructure. Uh, so things like the the, the Coomera Indoor Centre, the uh, the Aquatic Centre at Southport, uh, upgrades to um, Coomera Stadium, yeah. uh, various other pieces of infrastructure that were built um, ahead of what the normal timeframe would be, um, but we've been left with those uh, those legacies, those infrastructure legacies. And can I tell you that the, the facilities at, at Coomera, at Carrara, and elsewhere that have been left are just amazing. Mm. And all of us on the Gold Coast now benefit 
from those uh, pieces of infrastructure. So that's where I see there's a terrific opportunity uh, in the lead up to the Olympic Games um, and the legacy that we uh, uh, are trying to secure, I think, or, or best trying to secure would be infrastructure upgrades that will help add to the social and community infrastructure um, that we have in place already, but also add to the, the lifestyle and livability we experience here on the Gold Coast. So one of the challenges that I constantly hear on the Gold Coast, and it's no secret, is the affordability, housing affordability, rental. Um, is there, what, what can be done about this? I mean, I, I don't think there is a one, one solution to it, but, you know, it is, because, it is an issue that on multiple fronts we need to, to combine and, you know, look at. Do you have anything? Is there anything you can pull out for, to support? Yeah, it is a uh, it, it is a challenging space trying to identify. Uh, you know, there's such supply um, challenges at the moment. Uh, with you know, if we if we look back over to what's occurred since COVID, um, we, you know, we've got uh, borders that have been shut down. We've got the two biggest markets in the country. They were open and shut. Melbourne was largely shut for two years, um, and and money actually then went. And focused on Southeast Queensland, and where in Southeast Queensland were well, predominantly Sunshine Coast and Gold Coast. So there was a significant percentage of the home builder grants that, that went into the Gold Coast uh, that really heated the, the Gold Coast market. Uh, that has certainly been one of the challenges. We we just don't have the supply, and so keeping up with uh, what people are after um, and and affordability um, being eroded that has obviously uh, led to uh, you know, people looking further, as in further out or further up um, along the coast and, and, and into Logan and other areas of southeast Queensland. But but I will say this is that we are still very affordable compared to Sydney, which at the moment is sitting around 1.3 million for a median house price. Uh, and uh, Melbourne is um, is I think 1.1 million. Now I I uh, reading research the other day where 40 minutes out from Sydney, and I think it was Calliville, um, the, the land prices were starting from 910000 And Melbourne was up near Broadmeadows somewhere and about 30 minutes out of Melbourne, and it was starting from 735000 Now, to me, that's not affordable. No. We can quite comfortably get house and land for 735000 here on the Gold Coast. So um, I will say this, whilst we think that it's not that affordable, on the Gold Coast, it is very affordable compared to Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah. And those markets being locked down in COVID actually saw an opportunity to accelerate their decision to relocate, to migrate. Uh, and where did they go? They went to the Gold Coast and they went to the Sunshine Coast. So we've been the recipient of that. We are still experiencing some significant supply challenges with um, supply chain interruptions, with um, some trade embargoes with China, with uh, the Ukraine-Russia um, war, um, where a lot of manufactured timber comes from. Yeah. Um, so there are some challenges uh, with supply chain. There's also some challenges with uh, trying to identify additional land uh, that people can um, uh, look mm. to live at. Mm. And, and so um, that's one of the things that um, many of us are working on in the development industry at the moment with council and with the state to identify additional supply opportunities yeah. uh, more land and uh, you know land that's readily available land that can be uh, serviced in a sequenced way with infrastructure that's not going to be expensive mm -hmm. uh, to, overly expensive to do so but i will say that there are a, a lot of opportunities also 
in infill development. If they call it the missing middle, so it's it's those um, those lots or those uh, pieces of land that are actually already in suburbia, already in suburbs, mm. uh, but there's been no activity on them. They're either vacant or they're underutilized, or uh, you know they're they're in a uh, a pretty old and substandard condition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so gentrification is the word that's often used. It's yeah. the, gent- the gentrification of those um, sites and of those buildings to be replaced with uh, better and and new uh, developments and or housing opportunities uh, for Gold Coasters. And, and it is important that we provide uh, all demographics with housing. So affordable units, affordable um Lots, house and land, townhouses, and then into the obviously existing areas, which are a bit less affordable. Yeah, no, totally. So moving on, um, 2032, it's not really that far away. How can the Gold Coast take advantage of the 2032 Olympics? Well, I I absolutely think that uh, if we can get some additional um, infrastructure funding for things like heavy rail, light rail, upgrades to existing stadiums and infrastructure that we have in place. I think that it will be incredibly important to uh, to be as selfish as we can in those upgrades and try and get as much as we can. I agree. Uh, there were a number of sports that, um, that could have been held on the Gold Coast in 2018 and, and weren't. So, you know, I'd be saying to, um, to the state and uh, uh, particularly those that are the decision makers to uh, look to the Gold Coast. We've held the 28... 28- 2018 Commonwealth Games very successfully. We've got infrastructure in place. Yep. If you need it to be a bit bigger, then extend onto it. Uh, it may be better than creating an entire new stadium at a mm. significant price. Um, so, you know, one thing that they um, they always do try and um, ensure that they avoid is any um, creation of any white elephants or infrastructure mm. that's not going to work or, you know, athletes' villages and so forth. So, um, I would say look towards the Gold Coast um, as uh, an opportunity to create something at a pretty good value for money solution because lots of it is already here. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Finally, you grew up in country Victoria. We'll forgive you for that because you've been here a long time. And your parents came up on a holiday, up for a holiday when you were 10. So what is it about the Gold Coast that you love about it? Yes, my uh, story uh, mimics, I'm sure, thousands of others uh, that are, are living now on the Gold Coast in that uh, I was born in Melbourne. Uh, I uh, came up with my parents and family on a holiday here because we'd heard a lot about the Gold Coast. And, uh, and I think the, it was the, the second trip we uh, we made a decision as a family. Obviously, Mum and did, Dad did, and... Uh, that was it. Gold Coast was amazing. I, I drove across the Sundar Bridge for the first time and saw all the blue water, the, the broad water, the the, uh, the buildings, the ocean, the hinterland, and uh, that was it for me. I was convinced. Um, coming from a town of 5,500 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also what, what struck me is uh, there was a, at the time, and, and has been since, uh, a real have-a-go attitude and uh, an attitude that uh, nothing was impossible. Uh, which is something that I just really liked. Uh, I was fortunate to go to school here to get my um, my uh, uni education and qualifications here at Griffith. Uh, it was only, it's a good example, actually, because at the time it was one building. Wow. Uh, look at it now. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's quite amazing the growth that's occurred, but it's occurred in a way that it is now one of the top 200 universities yep. 
globally, which is an amazing, amazing result uh, in such a short period of time. Um, so, yeah, for me, uh, the Gold Coast is a place where it, it certainly is lifestyle, but it's its proximity, um, you know, its accessibility. Um, everything's uh, a lot closer than if you lived in Sydney or Melbourne, you've got to drive half an hour here, half an hour there, an hour here, an hour there. Uh, it's not like that on the Gold Coast. So I think if you live um, anywhere in the Gold Coast, you've got all your facilities within you know, five or ten minutes. Mm-hmm. So that's what I see as the great benefit. The other thing is, of course, coming from country Victoria, but even Melbourne, is um, the uh, the fluctuations in the weather. I think Queensland offers an amazing lifestyle decision uh, for people in terms of, you know, the amount of sun we have. What is it, 287 days on average sunny year? Uh, it's just fantastic. So, and, and, again, it's still relatively affordable compared yeah. to Sydney and Melbourne. So for me... There was no choice, um, and and I've been lucky enough to to do a bit of travel since living on the Gold Coast, which has been uh, forty years now. Um, and the more you travel, the more you see that the Gold Coast really is the best place in the world. And you would have seen a lot of change on the Gold Coast. I mean, we now have three, you know, world class universities. We have, um, you know, we have a massive space industry. We have an incredible manufacturing, advanced manufacturing that happens here. Not to mention the Gold Coast Health and Knowledge Precinct and that medical. So the changes. Um, there's been a lot of changes, but do we need to make sure that we somehow protect what the Gold Coast is? the you know is there a need to do that so what has um been the case with gold coast i mentioned earlier that it's grown so quickly it wasn't in the top 100 towns or cities in the country 40 years ago it's now number six Uh, what we did see in those early growth periods in the last 40 years is we saw a lot of fluctuation a lot of boom and bust and cycles Mm. if they were felt anywhere they were felt most significantly on the gold coast so you talk about boom and bust and, and the GFC and so forth. Um, you know, the Gold Coast was quite susceptible to those fluctuations in the market. What I do see now is that as the Gold Coast is growing, uh, it's becoming more diverse as an economy. So historically, it was all tourism and it was construction. Yeah. Uh, you just have to have a look at the at the health and knowledge precinct, yeah. I think, which, which is a focus of one of the, the previous podcasts you've done. Yeah. The health and knowledge precinct is incredible. It's it's important globally, yeah. And, and that was really the result of focusing um, on that particular location and looking at a number of um, catalytic infrastructure, but also catalytic um, uh, vocations, and you know a focus on health and knowledge and innovation, economic development, and, and it's now worth billions and billions and billions of dollars. The reason I mention that is because it's making the Gold Coast as an economy, more robust, more diverse. Uh, And so it's not just tourism and construction. Now it's also health, education, innovation, space, you mentioned. So what that's doing is it's actually making us more robust in terms of, um, uh, you know, times of boom and bust. We don't don't, uh, feel that as much anymore. So we might not be growing as quickly, but we're more stable. We're more stable. So we're not doing a lot of this anymore. We're actually more stable. We're growing uh, with more structure um, and we are now a serious competitor um, to to Brisbane. It it acknowledges that to to Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, We weren't taking that seriously um, originally. So that's what I see that 
um, with the Gold Coast, there's terrific opportunity in coming decades to really focus in on our areas of specialty, uh, and the Health and Knowledge Precinct is one of those. Yeah. The three universities is another. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that really presents us that the blank canvas we've got, the framework here naturally, we've got an advantage over everyone anywhere in the world. So we're now populating that with the right uh, infrastructure that's mm-hmm. that's making it um, a real destination. And, and that's what we've seen in recent years. If COVID's done anything, it's it's taught companies that people can and their staff can work remotely. And if they can work remotely, then where do they want to be? And people are saying via their feet and via migration numbers, they want to be on the Gold Coast. Yeah, absolutely. What a good way to end this conversation. And I seriously could keep talking to you for about the next half an hour, but I know we can't. But, look, I just want to sincerely thank you. Your insights are amazing. I have absolutely enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for your time. Thanks for listening today. For a complete list of podcast episodes and transcripts, go to rdagoldcoast.org.au slash podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn or Twitter.